You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Lin. This is a show we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and selling a home to live and to sell. Welcome back. This is episode 121. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show. So, just a quick reminder. Our giveaway is really happening right now, our 15th anniversary plus the celebration of Lunar New Year. So I just want to take this opportunity to wish everyone a happy new year. 大家好,祝你新年快乐,恭喜发财,扭转乾坤. So if you're interested in the giveaway, be sure to enter it ASAP. This is going to end soon on the 16th, which is next Tuesday. We'll do a live drawing of the prizes on the 17th, which is the Wednesday. I'll be going live both on Instagram and in our Facebook group as well. So make sure you catch that if you want to find out if you want it or not. And just a reminder, we're giving away 88 prizes and some of the prizes are huge. Our accelerator program, it's basically a $5,000 prize, but you can also win other courses we have in our school, not to mention gift certificates ranging from $50 to $1,000. So in total, there are 88 prizes. Make sure you enter yourself in that. Also, just a quick reminder, we are having our SagerCon retreat the last weekend of February, so 27 and 28. 28 is our official anniversary for 15 years at SageMore. Be sure you join us for SagerCon retreat. We're going to have lots of great content content for you guys coming your way in terms of how to buy inventory, both retail and wholesale, writing a proposal that will convert a potential client. We're also talking about logistics and workflow and also social media one-on-one. So make sure you join us for SagerCon. That's going to be amazing. I'm so thrilled. SagerCon is probably my highlight of 2020. It was such an amazing experience. So I cannot wait to do again this year twice. All right, so for today on the show, I have Liz Carroll, and Liz Carroll is a financial life coach and a co-founder of Mindful Money Coaches with her husband of 30-plus years, Dan. Together, they built a debt-free multi-million dollar rental portfolio in the last six years of 16 single-family homes and a fourplex, allowing them to retire early from their corporate careers. After retiring from corporate, Liz followed her passion by becoming a certified financial coach from Ramsey Solutions a certified life coach from the Life Coach School, and 200 RYT yoga and meditation instructor from the Purna Yoga College. She combines strong money and life skills with mindfulness in her coaching program. She's a creator of 30-Day Mindful Money Transformation and the Mindful Money Method. She and Dan live on the Oregon coast. Their adult children visit regularly. I think Liz has a really interesting background and a really well mix as well. I mean, she's had a corporate experience, but she also has investing experience, which I find very valuable in terms of conversation about money. And it's New Year as well, so I just want to do a little bit of money mindset and also talk about different kinds of ways for us to build our wealth as home staging business owner. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And as usual, if you like it, please like it on iTunes and tell your stager friends and also write a review for us as well. That's going to help us grow and then get the word out there so we can attract more amazing guests to come on the show. All right, so let's get started. So hi, Liz. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I think money is such an important part of running a business. It's a crucial topic for any small business owner. So I'm really grateful that you're here today. 
Well, thank you for inviting me, Cindy. I'm pleased to be here. And I am so impressed with how much you're putting out into the world for homestagers. It's, I mean, it's unbelievable how many resources you have available. So I'm thank glad you it's something you're going to talk about, adding to your, adding to your deck. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your business and how did you get started? Well, it's kind of funny how it all worked out, but it's been a 23-year journey. Now, the business part has only started four years ago. But, you know, like a lot of people, I felt like I was on a treadmill and my husband and I were had been married seven years and we felt a little stuck and we were like, you know what? There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way for us to feel like we're getting ahead. And so we sat down and actually a friend of mine from work had recommended a book. We read the Financial Peace book by Dave Ramsey back in 1997, sat down one evening and wrote out a 20-year financial plan. I know that's oh crazy, but... And then we did the math and figured out what we needed to do. And we said, we can do it. And there's this will be so much better for our life and our children. We had two small children at the time. There were a couple things with our goal, our plan that we put together. One, we wanted to be debt-free. Two, we wanted to college educate our children. And three, we wanted to have enough passive income by the time of my 50th birthday, which was coincided with our youngest college graduation, that we would be able to step away from our corporate careers and make work optional. And we attained that plan two years early. That's amazing. For those of people who are not familiar with David Ramsey, can you tell us a little bit about what is this book about and also what his philosophy is? Yeah, his philosophy is that you you can live debt-free. You can be debt-free. It's so often our society believes that you'll always have that. You know, it's a, a belief now. It's like, of course, you're always going to have a car payment or you'll have a mortgage or it's just you can't do it without it. Well, his philosophy is, let, let me show you the steps. He broke it down into seven steps. We didn't follow him exactly by any means. But when we did finish our plan, all those years later, after reading a simple book and having the dedication and the discipline to create a plan, I'm not saying we followed it perfectly at all during those years. And we had some things come up, job losses. Our kids decided to go to private high school, which turned into a whole nother expense that we weren't planning on that in some ways made some obstacles, challenges in our plan, but we just continued plugging away. When we called Dave, he has a national talk show with 14 million followers or so in the United States. And when we called just to say, hey, we just want to let you know, we want to thank you. Your book encouraged us to create a plan. And we are now able to retire and have enough passive income, cash flow from our, we chose rentals as our vehicle for our financial independence journey. And we bought rentals on the side. Anyway, we called him. I want to finish that part. We called him and he said, hey, you guys, we need more people like you. Can you come down to Tennessee and get trained? And so he trained us to become financial coaches. And that's when we started our business four years ago. So now my husband and I coach other couples to live a financially independent life. That is amazing. I love that story. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> how, how does one book have such a large impact on your life? My gosh. And it really does. I mean, honestly, we should have like an altar for the book. The funny thing is, is it's like, it was just, that we were ready. You know, it's like, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. That book, yeah. 
it just gave us the, we can do it. You know, it's a mindset thing, right? It's like, it's possible. And we just said, if we sit down and work this plan, now we made some major steps in our plan. We sold a home that we built that we thought was we were going to raise grandkids in. We moved states. We changed jobs. We did some major things to make our plan happen, but it was so worth it. We're several years in now to being completely financially independent. Those words mean something different for lots of people. Financially. I love that. I think there's two key things from what you just shared. One is mindset. I think mindset is so important because if we have negative mindset, we kind of unconsciously self-sabotage in a way. And then the other thing too, I think is really important is execution because not only you got a plan, but there's all these larger things that happen. So I know this is like one of our later questions, but I kind of want to talk about it now since we're talking yeah. about it. Now we're going through a pandemic. It's kind of the elephant in the room for any sort of money conversation, I think, with any business people. How do you deal with that? Because you went through some very significant life changes. How did you stay on course with your plan? The beautiful thing about a plan is it kind of becomes the guide, even when things go sideways, right? The other part is, is right now, a lot of people are feeling so uncertain. And I can tell you that my husband and I, we feel really certain on our savings. We're certain on our spending. We're certain on when we started and what, how we follow a plan. We're really certain on our investment choices. So I feel like you just have to decide and become disciplined with your decision. Have your own back on that. Have the self-confidence that you can execute. And really, the plan has been our guide in so many things. And now, since we accomplished that plan, we have some kind of loose ones now, but we certainly don't have a 20-year vision plan that we've written out the way we did originally. We have some ideas about our rental business now. And we started, we've sold one rental to a tenant. And that becomes, we feel like we're able to empower other people that maybe thought they could never be a homeowner. But my husband and I have been willing. And because we are able for this first one, we are carrying the contract for them. So it was someone who probably would have never been able to get financing otherwise, but we knew them, they had been a tenant. And now we were able to sell them their first home. So that is probably where we will go. We, that's what we kind of talk about now in the future is that we'll eventually sell many of our rental homes to the tenant if they want. That's really amazing. Coming back from the pandemic, one of the things for you is that you and your husband, you guys prepared for it and you did your homework. You knew what's coming, like you had to change jobs or you had to move different states. But pandemic, we never, none of us prepared for it. A lot of emails I'm getting from stagers now is that they were on the verge of starting their business or they just started their business and things were going well and then everything stopped because of COVID. Like they couldn't physically work in the home or now they can, but the volume has gone down than before. What are some of the things people can do to get their finance back on track? In situations, well, like I think that for sure, always the first thing to come back to is tracking your expenses, right? I mean, that's the first thing is when there's something like this comes up. Our clients that we work with, we first went, all right, let's go back. What's the needs versus wants, right? What do you need to make it in your business right now? And I think that's probably one of the fatal mistakes many business owners take is that they're taking too much out of the business 
so they don't have a cash reserve for when something does come up in the world. So that's something that we work with with our clients. That's a great strategy. I remember when recession hit in 2009. That's something I did as well. I was like, oh my god! All of a sudden, half of our clients were gone. Not like they stopped selling. They just like left real estate. They couldn't、yeah. deal with it anymore. And so I was like, I really need to look at my P and L and just start cutting down expenses and trimming out the fat that we can squeeze out. Otherwise,、mm-hmm. we would have died. I think <laughs> in 2009, the recession. Well, and Cindy, that's a really good point because you know Dan and I have years of cycles, right? The economy has cycled many times in our lifetime, and now have we had a pandemic before? Not like this, but we have seen ups and downs in the economy. Not only in the economy, but our own personal household economy when we've had job changes or job loss. And what you do is you get that mindset that I can make it. I'm capable. What do I need to do? And then answer that question and start doing it. Feeling overwhelmed because then you go into paralysis. Exactly, and I think the mindset is really important. So let's talk about that. I love talking about mindset. I don't know. My listeners are like, oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's like I don't know if it's a California thing or a bit woo, but I do think mindset drives a lot of how we face our world. So, what are some of the common native mindsets that you see, whether it's from your clients or like general observation when it comes to financial independence? These are some of them that come up often. You know, it's the scarcity, it's the lack that comes up. It's like I can't earn more. That's one that comes up often. I don't have time. It's not possible in my field to make more money. I don't have a degree or the right certification. You know, these are all kind of lack, negative mindset things that come up. If I earn more, I'm not a good parent. That's、mm-hmm. what comes up. Or I can't earn more than my partner. It's not right. You know, it's that's another mindset that I see, particularly when I'm coaching women one on one. That's what comes up is that I'm not a good parent or a good partner if I'm making more money. And so, what we work on. Is kind of those bridge thoughts. Like I can't earn more yet. We add just a little bit on there, so that we can get them off of the "I can't" because they're probably not going to go immediately to "I'm capable."、Uh, you know, that's just not how our minds work. Now, granted, we can try to force it, but if we don't believe it, it's not going to work. So we need to start little baby steps, working over towards where we want to be. And that first one is often adding the word "yet" to the end of. Now, here's the other part about that, Cindy. Though, is most people really don't even know that they have a fixed mindset or a scarcity or a lack. It's so unconscious. So that's why having a guide help you through and see what you're thinking by what you're saying is so instrumental in growing your mindset. I love the idea of having that bridge word. I think it's so clever because it's true. It is baby steps. You know, you're not going to be able to build Rome in one day. So you have to have some sort of bridge or stepstone to get to the next part of the, your milestones. Yeah. Then from there, like when we add, I can't earn more yet. Right? There's hope that adds the hope in there, and then maybe we're not getting quite to I'm capable of earning more yet, but we could go. I'm learning to be capable of. Earning more, I'm willing to believe I can earn more. I mean, those are other ways to 
just change, gentle changes to get you to a full growth mindset. I think it's so interesting that you brought up that a lot of women feel in a way like ashamed that they can't earn more than their partner or that they feel like they're a terrible parent if they work or if they make money. Why do you think that is? Like, why do we put ourselves in prisons like this? Honestly, I think it's imprinted from generational stuff. But I do know that you can, and this is something that I worked on in my own corporate career. It's like, am I a good mother because I'm working outside the home? Now, fortunately, my career always allowed me to work in the home. So I, even though I was very busy and the kids weren't home all the time, but I was able to run a load of laundry or something during my career. But I think I had to really, particularly now that my children are adults, I see the fruits of me setting the example of what was possible for them. So I have adult children now that come to me all the time saying, mom, thank you so much for teaching me some independence, not only how to do laundry early, because I I put that on them, or how to balance their own checkbook now today the my kids don't even use a checkbook but they know how to do that right i taught them that how to cook that's the other thing my husband and i had this awesome trick that i'll pass on to all your listeners that we were both working at the same time and coincidentally at the same company at this time so we carpooled together for a little bit and we were able to incentivize our teenage children to cook dinner. And so we would pay them $10 to cook the dinner and we would let them do the meal plan. We would leave a gift card for the grocery store that was just you know down the block from us. And so anyway, they were able to do that, make $10 and learn a life skill, which has played off tenfold for our adult children now is that they are very good cooks probably better than we are that's amazing I love that story actually there's a friend of mine they're Swedish and they're very practical and so they train their sons to do chores and there's actually an app they can set so if your kid like wash the dishes they get five points or whatever if they wash the car they get 10 points you can assign point value to different tasks that they do in order to exchange for allowance money. And I think that is a great thing to really enable children to learn independence. My parents too, both of them worked. I think my mom luckily didn't have, or she never said anything to me. I don't think my mom really had that mom guilt. But I'm actually really grateful that she insisted on working because I grew up in Taiwan and it was kind of frowned upon when I was growing up for women to work when they didn't have to work. or it's considered for the man to look kind of bad, you know, like, oh, you can't provide your for your family kind of thing. Yeah. And so my mom, she insists on working because she really enjoyed dentistry. Like that was her practice. Like she really enjoyed mm-hmm. having it. So even though it was part-time, just a few patients a day, she still insisted on working part-time. And she got a lot of flack for it within the family, but she insisted on it. And I think that actually was a very valuable lesson for me is that it's really important for me to be independent and earn my own money. I don't have a husband. So yeah, I need to own my, <laughs> I need to earn my own money anyway. But like, but I think it was really important for me to see the work ethics. Like my mom really stuck it out because it really fulfilled her as a person. Like she wanted to work. And I think that's a really yeah. important thing to teach your children that you know, you need to do things that fulfill you, not just to make money or to make a living kind of thing. 
Well, and I realized that my career actually gave me a lot of power in my marriage and with our finances and, and in my life. So I've, I'm very grateful for, that I had that. And now I'm really grateful that I get to help other women navigate those challenges today. Yeah, and I think that was one of the things with older generation is that typically a lot of men handle the money, the finance in the home. So a lot of times when their wives become widowed, they didn't know how to manage money. Yeah. And so not only they already had this tragedy they had to deal with, then they also they don't know how to manage the money. And so they didn't really know how to retire properly. And I think it's much better now with this new generation where people are really focusing on creating financial independence for their lives so they understand how money works and i really love that now people are really embracing to to learn about money like talking about money is no longer kind of like a dirty word it's great like i mean we are capitalists for god's sake you know america (laughs) is like the it's like the personification of capitalism but the thing is people still feel ashamed about talking about money like it's a dirty dirty thing like we should not talk about And a lot of people are, you know, you said about the talking about money and and getting about financial independence, the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early. That's the popular movement now. There's a documentary called Playing With Fire. It's worth a watch. I think it's $5 on YouTube or Amazon. But Dan and I didn't even know we were part of the movement. We were just thinking this makes sense, right? Like it makes sense to owe my guiding thought that I kept having through this process is... I don't want to owe anyone anything. That's what kept me going and disciplined to stay on plan. Even when things in the world came up for us, it's like, listen, I'm going to figure this out. I don't want to owe anyone anything. So does that mean that you never have debt? No, that doesn't mean that. I mean, there are times when it's strategic to have debt. I want to, especially since you have a lot of realtors in your um, following and, you know, Dan and I have built our wealth on real estate. There were times we didn't start out debt-free investors by any chance. I mean, we had mortgages on many of our first, but we were very strategic in that we didn't take money out of the business all those years. So we let that money roll and pay down their mortgages and then build up buy another one for cash, then build up, buy another one for cash. And I think that goes to your business owners also that are dealing with this pandemic. You know, this is probably my number one tip is don't take too much money out of the business. Keep a cash reserve fund for the business and let the business have the opportunity to weather a storm. Yeah, no, that's a really good way to put it. Is there a certain percentage that we should set aside for the reserve in general? I'm probably on the more conservative side for this, but it's partly because I've seen so many cycles in my life. I'm 53, so I have seen many economic cycles. I highly recommend that any of my solopreneurs or entrepreneurs that I'm coaching have one year set aside of cash reserves. And some people right now, their lack scarcity mindset just went off listening to this like, what? One year? (laughs) possibly do that, right? How could I do that? I can barely get by right now. Well, you can with a plan. And once you put it in your plan and you decide it's worth it to me to have one year of security, knowing that if something did come up and I couldn't get into homes for a while, if I became ill, whatever the challenge could be, to know that you do have your own back 
during that time. I mean, even toilet paper became like the hottest commodity. I mean, I think pandemic was the most obvious when the scarcity mindset was like the most evident, where you just went to a supermarket, there was nothing left on the shelf except for vegan food, which is really funny to me. I'm not vegan, but like toilet paper was just gone, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, that wasn't a problem for my family because my husband and I, we know what supplies we use in our home regularly. And we purposely, it's like our insurance. We already keep a couple months on hand just in case we like, for whatever reason, couldn't get out of our house or something. You know, you never know. And so yeah, we had no problem. I am getting a little bit concerned that my favorite coffee at Costco hasn't been available for a while. So that's the <laughs> only concern right now. I feel like if you shop at Costco, you should be fine anyway for toilet paper because it comes with like 24 rolls. Like what normal family goes through it in a week? Like no one, unless you're like one of those TLC show where it's like 22 and growing kind of families. And yeah, but most of the time, no. What are some of the strategies people can put in place to be able to save up for one year reserve, even when they're low in their current living situation now? Yeah, it's start. That's the number one strategy. Start putting some money aside. A lot of people say the time, like I don't have time to do more. I would take on additional work. I would do whatever you can to get your one year cash reserves set aside. Or the other option that you have, which I prefer this one probably sooner, is pay down any debts because you're certainly going to make more return on your investment by eliminating interest paid versus what small amount of interest you could earn on a cash reserves fund. I love this saying that Chris Hogan says all the time, and he's part of the Ramsey organization, but he says interest paid is a penalty, interest earned is a reward. So keep that in mind also as you're working through your own finances. How fast can I pay off any of the debt That's something that we work through with the clients also is to determine how can they and how fast can they get out of debt. It reminds me of a student loan, right? Once you graduated, student loans start rolling in. And the thing is like most of the time, I really think if people can afford to pay off, they should just pay off sooner than later because anything, it's compound interest. You're basically essentially paying off interest. You're not really denting the principal. And so that's a really tricky spot for sure. So yeah, that's a really good advice. Yeah. In fact, we just coached a couple the other evening and they actually had the cash in the bank that that was available to them to pay off their loans. They just weren't doing it. And then so we sat down and like, okay, let's look through the math there. Your net worth is not going to change whatsoever, but you are going to eliminate a huge burden that is on your back right now. You owe the money. I mean, you, you signed on the dotted line. You took out the loan. Just pay it off and be done with it. Move on. And one of the things that I noticed in my own life, when Dan and I finally paid off the house and all the other stuff, it's like all of a sudden, I felt like I bloomed. I felt like my career took off to a whole new level. I just didn't have this weight that I was carrying around. And even though though the weight is by many people's standards, incredibly normal to have a mortgage, I just was like, you know what? I don't want it. I don't want to owe anyone anything. And then once that happened, I had this great release and really did change the trajectory of our plan. And that's why we were able to accomplish it early. 
That's great. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking of a friend. He owes a lot in student loan. And then we're just like so appalled when we heard this. We're like, why aren't you paying it off? You have the money. I think this is a conversation where we mention the good debt and the bad debt. Things like this, where you can't afford to pay it off, just pay it off. You're not just paying on the interest again and again. But you can also use debt to leverage, like you said, with investing in real estate. It's that you got this to put a down payment and start generating cash flow. And then so then you can build up a, a really healthy profit to go to the next project, not just keep owing and snowballing your debt. And I think that's a really, really important differentiation between the good debt versus the bad debt. Right. I like to think of debt as neutral. I don't like to label it, you know, with good or bad. But I do know that there is debt that is strategic, and particularly when it comes to real estate or maybe starting a business. But I prefer, particularly for business owners, to be completely debt-free throughout their business, only because it gives us so much more security to be adventuresome in our business when we know we don't have the burden of the debt as well. That isn't always possible. But it's definitely having a plan on how you will handle that debt is essential. Yeah. I also think that when you're not owing someone, you also have more control within your business, within your life as well. Because when you owe a debt to someone, whether it's a bank or an institution for, you know, student loan, someone else is controlling it. They're breathing down your neck, like you're owing this balance. So I can imagine how freeing it must be when you just pay off all this debt. Yeah. And particularly family. I mean, borrowing money from family, that comes with all kinds of <laughs> complicated <laughs> complications. Yeah. You better be here on the holidays. <laughs> Remember, I you better give me a grandchild. I financed yeah. your business when you first started. I'm glad my parents never pulled that on me. <laughs> that would have been a very awkward family dinner yeah. all the time. Yeah. I think that also once we eliminated that burden of any debt, I showed up as a whole new person in the fact that I showed up as my authentic self rather than having the burden of debt on my shoulder or maybe swaying how I showed up in front of clients. I was in corporate IT sales, so I didn't have the pressure of a boat payment or car payment or Uh, house payment that I was trying to maybe sell them something that they didn't need or want because it was for my own gain. I feel like I showed up very much in a solution problem solving and that only benefited me exponentially. I agree with that because I do think a lot of times, maybe they're not aware of it, but if they're really hungry for business and sometimes clients sense it, they might take advantage of it because they're like, well, she seems like she really needs this job. So I can probably negotiate a little bit more on the pricing to drive it down. And then they might just say yes, because they really want it. So I do think that impacts your mindset of how confident you are when you're showing up in front of your clients. Absolutely. They can see graspy when you show up that way. We talk about debt quite a bit. How do you define financially independence? Is it just debt-free or there's other factors as well? Well, I think that there's a couple different levels. So one, debt-free is in financial independence. Yes, that's one of my definitions. There are two levels of financial independence. One is 
that you have enough passive income coming in or income that you're generating from investments that cover your bills. So your needs are met. That's level one in my definition. Level two is that needs are met, but also joys are fulfilled. So you're able to travel where you want. It's kind of that I get to do what I want to do rather than just what I need to do. That's where level two financial independence comes in. That's where Dan and I are, is that we include in our budget being able to travel as much as we want and also give. So that's the other part that I think that true financial independence comes in when you're also giving and uplifting others. I love that. For me personally, one of the things that make my business unique is that I don't really run it like a typical staging training school. For me, it's really about community and an impact. And so there are things that I could have done to make more money. I think most training schools have some sort of quote unquote certification. It doesn't make sense for me to self-certify that my course is great. You know, (laughs) like it doesn't make sense to me. I know a lot of people do it for marketing. And the thing is like, yeah, sure, we can sell more courses, but that's not really what I want. I just really want students who value education, who value community to be in our community. And so my approach is a bit different. And for me, it really is impact more than income. And that's why we have so much free resources because, you know, to help people to be accessible and if they want to dive in further, they can invest into a course. Well, we're in a similar situation in the fact with our coaching business because it's passion work for us. This isn't work that we're doing to pay any bills. This is everything goes back into the business because this is passion. We want more families. My husband is super passionate about children. And the reason he does this with me is that he's like, if I can help create more financially independent homes, there's going to be less pressure on the family and the children will have less stress in the home. Yeah, no, I agree. It's so interconnected with everything. A lot of times I think about how can we make impact in the industry, but then I'm thinking about, well, if I can just have one stager to really have a solid, financially independent, thriving, vibrant home staging business, then that's going to reflect onto her or his clients. And that's just have a ripple effect. That's how we change the industry is to help people have sound businesses that they can make a living and feel very joyful and make an impact in their community with. That's really, I think, essentially it. It doesn't have to be like this crazy, huge goal, like world peace. Like there's no way I can do that on my own. But little by little, if I can impact one by one, then we can do a bit more than what we set out to do. Yeah. Do you have a goal of a, a thousand stagers, 2,000, 5 million? I don't know. How many stagers are you? Do you have a goal? I never actually thought of it that way. I don't know. I think that's a good goal to have, actually, because I'm not very quantitative in goal setting, which I should be a bit more. I never thought about, oh, should we impact 5,000 stagers? But yeah, I think that is a good goal. I look at it by independent event. Like, so we did our first virtual conference this year that is like 100% free, just free to yeah. attend. And I wanted to be a thousand people. I was like, I would be very happy if I get 500 people to sign up and it would be really awesome to get a thousand. And then we got a thousand signed up. So that was really great. So the next year, like my goal is to double that. And 
so on and so so I kind of I break it down more like individual event versus an overall but I think that's a good idea actually to have that overall impact as well well and it's what we work on is the math right so there's math and there's mindset so the math is really like the breakdown the the math of your goal. So quantify your goal. What is the number you want? How much do you need for financial independence? And then break it down. What do you need to bring in on a monthly basis to cover your needs for level one financial independence? And then the second side is that mindset. How do you get there? How do you get yourself to do the work? Because it's work. I mean, you can think of it as fun because you're seeing your goal accomplished, but it's still work to show up and stay disciplined on your plan for sure. That's great. What is the math difference like for level one and level two? Like what are some of the fundamental math people need to know for level one? Well, level one would be making sure that you're able to pay your property taxes, your insurance and your maintenance bills and any utilities. That's kind of level one, right? Those are the things that you have to have. And then level two is being able to incorporate in the things you want to be able to do. I want to be able to replace my car every five years. I want to be able to travel internationally. I want to be able to set money aside to save for our grandchildren. I want to be able to give a certain amount of money every month. That's kind of level two in my definition of financial independence. It could be $10,000 is level one that needs to come in a month or five, depending on the individual and their needs and what they have. Or it could be $20,000 a month that needs to come in for level two or 10,000, whatever their math works out to be. So how do you usually determine the math? Do you look at all the expenses that they would incur per month? You know, like cell phone bills, utilities, and maybe incidentals, like going out to dinner kind of thing, kind of average out and just basically figure out what is your minimum number per month kind of thing? Yes. So we have a minimum number and then we have a add in the things that you really want to do. So the minimum number, what we find so often, and this is, I developed a program called the Mindful Money Method. Because what has happened so often is we find out people don't know their numbers. There's just such a lack of awareness when it comes to what do things cost on a monthly basis. I mean, they have an idea and it seems to always work out, but they're not really tracking and they don't know. Most people today do not know their net worth today, which we immediately, that's the first step in the, is to determine your net worth. And then that's an easy number to track right? So that's where you can watch things grow. So awareness of the math, the numbers, what are you spending? What are you bringing in? Really tracking that. And then also awareness of the thoughts. What is your current mindset? Because most people have that mindset playing in the back of their mind, which is the primitive brain that's unconscious and they don't even know. I mean, I've had clients where I've worked with them once we dig deeper and deeper and deeper. I mean, they've really got some negative self-talk going on back there that a negative thought is going to get a negative result. And so we need to dismantle that negative thought or at least be able to acknowledge it, have a little compassion for it, and then bridge it along the way to get them to a more positive thought for a positive result. That's amazing. So how do we catch ourselves? Like you said, a lot of us are not aware of our mindset issue. So how do you catch that? Yeah, a lot of times journaling is a 
perfect example of how to get that out. Like if you just even sat down with your journal book and gave yourself some prompts, like I get angry about money because, and then really just explore what comes up for you. Or I don't feel like I'm going to have enough money because then just start writing because really you've got it back there. And most people just don't even know how to bring that up. And that thought, when we find the belief, then we work on breaking it down. Like, is that true? Where have you found evidence for that belief? Because your mind is fabulous about going on scavenger hunts to find all the evidence to prove that negative belief or that limiting belief. I mean, I've had situations come up where when I started doing this work years and years ago, I had a thought come up that I was irresponsible with money. And I went, where did that come from? And I went back and I really wrote down, when have I been irresponsible with money? And I had $40 stolen from an ice rink locker, my purse I'd put on in the locker when I was seventh grade. I mean, that kind of stuff sticks with you and you don't even know it. I didn't realize it until I really explored and I had to go compassion for that seventh grade girl that lost $40 in their ice rink locker, you know, so hard to uncover that information, but it's there. And once you do, you can go, oh man, that really stunk, but that doesn't mean she's irresponsible. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how much we beat ourselves up more than Mm. probably most other people who would? Yeah. Because I certainly, even my own children, I wouldn't say, oh, you were so irresponsible with money. I mean, I wouldn't have said that. I would say, oh my goodness, that's horrible that someone took $40 from a locker. But I wouldn't have been like, I might've said, what could you do differently in the future? Right. How could you correct that situation? But I certainly wouldn't want my child to take with them for years and years that they were irresponsible with money because they had $40 stolen from them. I do feel like a lot of it, it's so ingrained in our culture because I recently been doing a little bit of mindset work as well. And I realized that I was ashamed to talk about making money. Like it's a bad thing. But when I was a kid, my parents are always like, don't show off. You don't want to like attract negative attention. And then I feel really embarrassed when I talk about like, oh, great, you know, we just did this great project and then we made money. But the thing is, like, you're supposed to make money. It's a business. That's the thing. You're supposed to make money. That's the whole point of having a business. It's not that to make an atrocious amount of money that is immoral or unethical, but it's to, you know, because money is also a tool to do things that you enjoy, like go travel or eat at nice restaurant or have nice hotels and or buy that yoga pants that you really love, you know, something stupid, ridiculous. But the thing is, like, sometimes we just put all these extra limits on ourselves. When I talk about it now, I feel so silly about it to feel embarrassed or shameful about making money. But the thing is, it is true that that was how I was conditioned when I was a child is not to be proud about making money. But at the same time, be proud, like make your parents proud. <laughs> it's like a never win-win situation, I feel like with my parents. No, they don't care. They just want me to have husband and children. So, <laughs> so they're like, well, our job here is done. But yeah, it's kind of funny how, what kind of limitation we put on ourselves and we don't even realize that we're doing that and holding ourselves back. 
Absolutely. And it's back there from years and years back. And some of that could have been from our grandparents, our parents, teachers, any of that that came on to imprint it on us. And that's not bad. Everything got you to where you are today. So it's awesome that you're spending some time exploring your mindset. Yeah. And what are some of the really good money habits that you recommend? Because I know for small business owners, if you work with a bookkeeper or a CPA, they will recommend you to look at your like a financial dashboard periodically to make sure mm-hmm. that you're not leaking money somewhere or something like that. What would you say are some really good money habits to get into? The first one is to manage your mind around money. That's the number one, right? That we just talked about. But I think the second one is to set spending guidelines for categories. So this is how much I'm going to spend in marketing. This is how much I'm going to spend in education. This is how much I'm going to spend in supplies. This is how much I'm going to spend and set those numbers and then track it. So many people are just like, well, we needed it. We're going to get it. And rather than do you really need it? I also do little tricks with my spending. I have things like, do I like it or do I love it? If it's a love it, I'm getting it, you know, as long as it's within my guidelines. But if it's just a a like it or what am I feeling that I feel like I need to buy something right now, really check in with my feelings because so often, and particularly women, we soothe ourselves. So some self-soothing goes on with spending. I could see how that could happen so easily for staging to also... So checking in with the feelings, what do I need to feel right now? You said earlier, woo-woo, it really can stop you in your tracks with overspending. Yeah, I think overspending is very easy in staging line of work. A lot of times people start spending actually to buy inventory before Mm -hmm. they actually start making money. That's one of the common mistakes I see new home stagers make. And it's actually a very critical one because if you don't have cash flow, it will kill your business. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I actually recommend our students to do is to have like an internal lookbook in a way to figure really fine tune what you need for your home staging business to really make the styling to make the staging look really great. When you go to see furniture show, it's so overwhelming. They're like mm-hmm. giving you water, snacks, wine, champagne, and candies, like pretty brochure. Like we have all these special going on right now, 50% off. It sounds so enticing to buy everything. That's a really easy trap to fall into to overbuy or actually buy something that wow is a great deal, but doesn't really serve your business. It doesn't go with your style, doesn't go with your neighborhood or the type of work that you're doing. And so it's it's really important to have kind of in a way a restraint, like having that physical reminder that ah, okay, this is my lookbook. This doesn't go with my look. So I can't buy it, even though it's 90% off. It's going to come back and sit in my warehouse and not making me any money. So So those are kind of the debt spaces, I think, traps that people need to be aware of when they're first getting into the staging business, not to overshop and also get yourself into debt before you even start making positive money. Absolutely. And I think staying organized and tracking your expenses is essential because when you come back and try to reconcile your books three months later because you got busy and you didn't record everything, it kind of goes sideways. I've had that happen in my own. Dan and I have three different businesses and that's happened with me. If I get something, I've come back and I'm like, now what really was this receipt for? So I think that's essential. And I take my own advice on that now is that staying current with the books. 
Yeah. And so do you have any tools or apps that help you keep yourself organized? Yeah. So for our household spending, also known as a budget, we use Every Dollar, which is a free app. So that's one that we use. For our businesses, we use FreshBooks. So that's an accounting software that we use. So it's very easy and there's an app for my phone. So that makes it really easy to stay up on it. That's great. I love it. So we're coming to the end of our show. So I just have one last question for you. What would be your number one advice for business owners like homestagers who want to achieve financial independence? Create a plan. Because your best financial plan is going to be the one you create. So create a plan. If you need assistance in creating a plan, there's lots of information out there. If you want to have a guide and help you do that, Dan and I are available for that. But that would be my number one. Create a plan. It worked for us and it let us, the plan, be our guide. So it made making financial decisions throughout our lives easier because it's either Yes, in the plan or no, not in the plan. And of course, there were modifications that we had to make the best decision we could at the time during those years, but we were very mindful with our decisions and for the overall goal of the plan. That's great. Thank you so much for being on the show. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cindy. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging.